Welcome to the first episode of the Crowd Money Cast. My name is Clay Graubard, and every month, me and my co-host Andrew Eady sit down to talk real money prediction markets and interview key players in the space. In today's episode, Andrew and I will talk about our first experiences using real money prediction markets and talk about the ways in which it compares to prediction platforms like Metaculus or Good Judgment Open, where people forecast for gamified rewards instead of real money returns. After that, we'll sit down with the co-founders of Callsheet, the first CFTC-regulated prediction market, and talk about their launch into beta, the importance of being CFTC-regulated, how they compare to their crypto alternatives, and the ways in which forecasting plays a role in their company and in their lives. At the end, Andrew and I will reflect upon the episode and talk about the next thing that comes for us when covering the prediction market space. Before getting into the episode, I just want to remind all of our listeners that the second issue of the Crowd Money newsletter will be releasing Tuesday, September 28th. If you're not subscribed already, go to crowdmoney.io to subscribe today for free and get the newsletter directly in your inbox, as well as get the latest notifications when the second episode of the Crowd Money cast releases in October. Without further ado, let's get the show started. So, Andrew, we've been on prediction markets now for about three months, and I'm curious, like, what has been your opinion of them, your impression, your experience? I think for me, it's been sort of overall positive, but um, I've definitely had some interesting takeaways, especially in terms of how they compare uh, with prediction platforms like Metaculus, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah, just like off the top. How have, how have sort of your first three months with uh, prediction markets, with real money prediction markets gone? Yeah, I would say sort of overall, I like them. Um, I think in general, new asset classes, new areas to invest always interest me. You know, we've talked about uranium and sports cards on this podcast. So I think this sort of fits in to that grouping. Um, but that's not to say that there haven't been sort of aspects of these real money prediction markets that I found to be a bit challenging. Um, you know, one of them is that when you invest in the stock market, for example, let's say you have a thesis about a company whose price is going to go up, you put in money and as you know, your thesis is validated, you get to see that price go up in a prediction market. If you're, you know, right against the crowd, your contract is probably going to show a negative balance up until the point of resolution. Um, because, you know, everybody else thinks, you know, the outcome is going to be the opposite, so just psychologically sitting there and seeing a negative balance on a contract um, and having to maintain confidence in it uh, can be a bit difficult at times. Um, and just in general, you know, when you're putting money on predictions, I think, at least for me, it's made me a bit less inclined to predict as much on those platforms just because of what's at stake. Um, even if I am, you know, I feel confident in my prediction. Um, so I think it's definitely forced uh, sort of on both the using money and also looking at those negative balances, it's forced just a higher level of confidence when it comes to forecasting. And what would you say like the main positives have been for you? I think the questions on these prediction markets are really fascinating and the potential to sort of look at the questions and the markets in the aggregate and uh, notice trends, I think is really fascinating. Um, I think, you know, we're starting to see markets on, you know, like poly market, the NFT market that we talked about, um, you know, markets being specifically designated for hedging. Um, so I think just seeing where the markets are going and being able to learn about new topics that, you know, are relevant, I think, yeah, it's been really cool. Um, I think it's going to continue in that, in that trend. 
It's so funny that you mentioned questions being one of your positives, because for me, in terms of my list, that was actually one of the more negative things that I think these real money prediction markets are doing wrong. Uh, I or, or, or not wrong, but I think they could definitely improve more on it. And I think what Polymarket is trying out uh, is very interesting. And that's something that we'll talk about um, in the second newsletter, which is releasing in less than two weeks. So go to crowdmoney.io to subscribe, or we'll be talking about that on September 28th. But I think sort of questions for me is where these platforms are sort of doing worse than like Metaculous or Good Judgment Open. I think if you want like the best question quality about forecasting, if you're talking about important questions um, that are interesting and that also have like good, clear resolution criteria and therefore make it like a pretty easy, like analytical task to grasp. I think Good Judgment Open has the highest density in terms of, you know, what percentage of good questions are there in terms of total questions. I think they probably do the best. And I think Metaculus has, like, in aggregate, the most good questions in total because they have, like, a hundred as many questions as Good Judgment Open. So just in some ways by, like, large end, they're going to have, like, really good questions. Uh, I think in these prediction markets... There are interesting questions out there. I think like what's happening with the hedging on on NFTs and crypto uh, that we've seen and that we're going to be talking about in the next uh, newsletter in some more uh, in depth and also in the upcoming interview is very interesting. Uh, but I think prediction markets in general are in some ways constrained by like just the total amount of liquidity that exists in the prediction market space. There's only so many traders doing prediction markets, they're generally segregated across different platforms. Like, even if interesting questions, like all of the questions on Callshe were interesting or Polymarket, there's probably not enough money to go around to sort of stimulate those markets. Although I will still say in general, I do think they're, the overall like ratio of, of good to bad questions is... It's probably like between Metaculus and Good Judgment personally. Um, so I think for me, like the questions have been sort of one of the downsides. I think one of the big upsides, um, and you were sort of talking about this earlier, is having like the confidence of going into a position. I think that is really exciting. Um, it's something that I want to talk about in the newsletter, probably in like the third or fourth issue or something. But, you know, we followed the crypto space. We followed meme stocks and... You know, you always find these great opportunities in them, but it's really hard to get like a certain level of confidence to put your money into it because it's like pretty opaque. You're relying in some ways on like network effects and hype and, you know, some some percentage of just like luck. And, you know, you sort of see these high return uh, investment opportunities past you. And, you know, on one hand, you want to feel bad for yourself for missing out on it. On the other hand, even like post facto, I'm still like, I'm not entirely sure what 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 the thesis should have been for getting into that. Uh, and when it comes to these prediction markets and making high digit returns, what I find interesting is that, you know, there's a real skill behind forecasting. We do it at globalguessing.com. We do it at crowdmoney.io. Um, you know, you can actually like get good at making these forecasts and sort of have your own self-confidence to get into a position. And for me, that's what I find really interesting. Uh, as well as using them as like an information source uh, as well in terms of like tracking like short term news in terms of what like CPI might be or, or what like housing sales are. I think that the, it, it's also really interesting. So for me, my two sort of pluses are, you know, having those high returns where you can have personal confidence in uh, in terms of going into it and then also like using it as a way to like filter the news and then, you know, the downsides being the questions.
And so how would you um, sort of differentiate between the questions, which maybe could use some work, and then the markets that are giving you, you know, this, this news that you're saying that you appreciate? Um, or like, what's the difference, rather? Yeah, that that's kind of a good point, because like some of the you know, more boring questions might be good for information. Um, I mean, just like, I think like an easy one for me to sort of pick off is, uh, I think, you know, call, she has some questions about, about whether it's technically uh, under climate, but like, will the temperature in New York be like over like 96 degrees Celsius, uh, Fahrenheit Celsius would be <laughs> catastrophic. Um, but like, you know, like questions like that, I think I struggle to find the interest for, but you know, these are also very, this is an entirely like a new space and like really new. And so I think there's going to have to be like a lot of experimentation. I mean, just for me and my sub interest, it's like very high impact questions that are the most interesting for me or just ones that like you can see the question and you know how to like research to come up with like a base rate because there's a clear resolution criteria and it's somehow historical and so you know some questions that have been really good for liquidity like when is like the donda album going to drop for instance that doesn't interest me personally um yeah my guess is uh, that you know as you said there's already a you know somewhat small amount of people on real money prediction markets like call um, you know, I feel like they wouldn't want to shrink that pool even smaller by adding questions that require sort of maybe high levels of research, or at least on the surface, it seems like you have to have prior knowledge. So in order to generate that initial liquidity, they have to, you know, put in markets that seem more accessible to everybody, like, you know, amount of people on the subway or, you know, corporate tax rates or things where, you know, there's public data that you can go to, like, you know, maybe their strategy is hopefully, because I agree that, you know, in terms of just our background and interests, um, you know, it's not, there's not that much representation in the markets and some of these real money platforms right now. I'm thinking maybe in the future, once they're... It's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, actually going back to that weather question, I would think that is, if you're trying to consistently generate alpha on that, you have some sort of machine learning model um, that's sort of basing your forecast. I, I know that you can get really accurate forecasts that way uh, in terms of like energy load and, and almost certainly for like weather. So I don't know. I think on some hand, like some of the questions that are out there on like on, on, on its surface are like easier to forecast and so that's almost certainly why they are there and i think that's the point that you're trying to make right just but i think if you're trying to like generally if trying to consistently get that alpha they're actually i think some of the harder questions out there rather than like the jcpoa because i don't think you can train um some sort of like ml model to to tell you about the jcpoa uh, versus you probably could when it comes to weather that's fair. maybe that's you know why we find those questions more interesting is because they don't seem as um sort of out algorithmic in terms of you know how to approach them um it seems like mm. there's a bit more sort of thinking and nuance to them um which is something that we've explored a lot of global guessing so you know it's not surprising that we're looking for something with a bit more uh, meat on it andrew one thing i'm interested in your opinion is because you know you've obviously been involved in the crypto and the nft space is sort of like what is your perspective on the crypto uh, prediction markets, the NFT prediction markets, and then like the predict it, and then now like the call she CFTC regulated prediction markets. For you, does the real money versus crypto difference make sort of a big impact? Is it like just sort of like how are how are you viewing it internally, and then sort of externally, what do you think others are going to view in terms of that divide? Yeah, um, 
you know, I think there's a lot of really natural um, sort of points of comparison between uh, sort of the crypto space and the prediction market space. Um, I think, you know, in large part, one of them is that when we talk about making predictions, we talk about, um, you know, putting down your stance on something and being accountable to that. And I think in a lot of ways, crypto and blockchain, um, you know, takes that, you know, all, all the way in the sense that, you know, if you're making predictions on blockchain or using crypto, then that's going to be sort of permanent on the blockchain and people can go back and see that. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, when we talk about reality cards and there's a bunch of, um, you know, crypto prediction markets out there using different um, currencies, I think there's a lot of potential there, um, you know, just in sort of like in the philosophy, but as we talked about in the first newsletter, um, you know, I think there are also some, you know, aspects of crypto markets that are going to be an obstacle, um, such as sort of just the fluctuating prices and the and the gas fees and um, just the accessibility, you know, to crypto when we get to a mass audience, um, which I mean, I think that's how we have to consider these markets is like not where they are right now, but sort of at their peak, what do they look like? What's their market share? What's the, you know, most commonly used, you know, currencies in society and how is that going to play a role um so i mean i think there's some obstacles there but i like them i have to say i haven't put any bets down on poly market um i think maybe in large part because of the sort of steps that it takes and because i'm not sure how i want to spend my eth or you know whatever it is but um yeah i don't know i think they have a lot of potential you know i think you do make a really good point. And I, I do think there's a pretty interesting marriage with blockchain technology and the idea of prediction markets. And that's something that I think we should explore more, both on the podcast and the newsletter moving forward. I also think you make a really good point when it comes to things like gas fees and putting your money, um, you know, if you don't own any Ethereum, you're going to open up a Coinbase account and then transfer it over and do all these different steps. I think that makes it challenging. And so I think that's where prediction real real money prediction markets like call sheet are interesting because you only need to have us dollars um i think it's only us dollars right now and so i think that can really sort of open it up and and sort of reduce barriers to entry to people that sort of aren't already into the crypto space and so that's why i think i'm really excited and i, I know that you are too to be sitting down with the co-founders of call sheet today and to talk about their launch into beta and more about that so let's hop into that interview right now Tarek, Luana, welcome to the first episode of the Crowd Money Cast, the podcast about real money prediction markets. For our listeners, Tarek and Luana are the co-founders of Callshi, a new real money prediction market which recently launched in beta that is the first exchange to be CFTC regulated. Congrats on the launch, guys, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Thank you. So we wanted to start off with a question that was actually sent to us from a reader of the newsletter um, after hearing that we'd be speaking with you both this week. Um, and he had an interesting one. So he, um, his name's Ezra, and he identified that there seems to be different kinds of event contracts or event contracts with different focuses on Callshi's platform. You know, there are some that focus on high impact future events uh, in geopolitics and tech. There are some that seem to be more focused on generating liquidity, like when it comes to albums of Drake and Billie Eilish. Um, you know, how does Kalshi understand itself, would you say? Um, and is there a focus on any one of these particular market types? Okay. Yeah, so, so it's a great question. Um, 
so so the way we think about it, I mean, we are focused on contracts that matter to people's lives, things that are tangible uh, to people um, in their day to day, and that have a, an impact on sort of you know how they live their lives, their wallets, the, the risks that they sort of uh, are worried about, or the things that they're interested in, they're reading, they're reading about in the news, they're following, etc. Um, so so this is really the sort of primary motivation for Kalshi, building a NASA class that is sort of natural and human in a way that others are not, things that really come close to home, hit close to home. Um, and, you know, we we think about sort of people, not just institution, uh, you know, that like people, not just institution should be able to um, build sort of financial strategies on every type of event. Um, and, and that's why we're sort of building an exchange, which is like any other commodities or derivatives exchange. If you look at the CME or grain futures or others, um, that is for hedgers and speculators uh, alike, right? And so you ask the question on, uh, you know, who kind of what types of events and kind of what are, what are different events that we're looking at. Um, the it tends to be both. You know, it takes both to make a market, and you know, for people to to hedge risk, there needs to be speculators on the other side, and uh, and and uh, and so really that's how we think about sort of our composition of events. And is there like a particular sort of market in terms of traders you're trying to go at or is it those two equally because they seem like pretty different groups of people that would say forecast um you know the taliban takeover in in afghanistan and a market on that versus interested in a, a a drake album um like going into this was there a particular market you guys wanted to go for is it just sort of across the spectrum in terms of event contracts that you know just touch people's lives it really depends on the types of users that you know we're we're, we're talking about. I mean, th there are people that are highly topic agnostic. I mean, especially think, you know people around like prosumers or even institutions that tend to want to market make on anything that they think they're going to that is mispriced, and they trade around fair value and they could do it on 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 all these different types of contracts. Um, and and that also tends to apply to speculators. Speculators usually can speculate on all sorts of things as long as they feel like they have an opinion or a certain direction there. Um, now, you know, if you're asking about hedgers, I mean, hedgers tend to be more topic specific, which is why, you know, over time, you know, a lot of the kind of strategies and how we kind of want to scale the exchange tends to be um, sort of a, a, you know, a sequential route. So we, we get a lot of the users initially that, you know, provide liquidity, that are, you know, maybe potentially speculating that, you know, provide the baseline volume and liquidity to the exchange, and then we can sort of target more contract specific uh, um, uh, segments that potentially come to the exchange, maybe uh, for, for hedging a specific risk or because of a specific topic. Uh, and then may or may not sort of expand into other things in the exchange or maybe stay within the same category uh, of, of events. Um, I'm, I'm curious, like you you had this idea clearly for Kalshi and it was clearly important for you guys to become CFTC regulated. How is that in any way sort of shaped and changed like what Kalshi is and the markets that it's able to put up on the platform? And you know, both for like the positive, I, I assume by being regulated, it's, it sort of forces you to have a certain um, strictness when it comes to the markets that you're that you put up. But I also assume that there's also some downsides. So, yeah. How has CFTC regulation sort of shaped what call she's become? That's a great question. So um, the CFTC is really core to what we do. And I think the only way for a prediction market uh, or like a event contracts exchange like us to be as big as it can be and really become a serious and real thing, it needs to be regulated uh, and it needs, because it needs to be able to scale uh, well and it needs to be safe and all the things around it. Um, the CFTC is actually very interesting because they have, when we became uh, regulated, like uh, regulated as a 
DCM, which is a designated contract market, uh, we gain the powers of, it's called self-certification. Uh, so we can pretty much, we self-certify which contracts we're posting. It doesn't, uh, it's very different process from, from other types of regulator. It's a very quick process. It's like a one, um, one to business day, and then we can, we, can, we can list the contract. And it's really up to us which contracts we put if it falls within, within the regulation. So it's actually a very empowering uh, piece of, of, of regulation that we deal with. And, and I think, to be honest, I would seriously think that being regulated is better for our contracts because it really makes sure that we have contracts that are very hard to manipulate. We have like almost impossible, like impossible to manipulate. We have contracts that are, the rules are clear and are gonna always settle in the, in the, in the correct way that we have the correct source agency. In, in, it's just objectively better for users to trade on, on contracts that are in an actual exchange that actually have a vetting process that are actually a legal document. Uh, and yeah, to be honest, I think the CFT and being regulated is, is there's only pretty much positives for our markets. The only negative is not really a negative. There are some contracts like terrorism and assassination that we can't do, but, but that's not a negative. That's also positive, I guess. <laughs> You talked about the certification that sort of gives Callshi a bit of autonomy when it comes to market creation. Is the market creation process different from some of your competitors? Can you talk a bit about what it looks like for somebody, you know, who's maybe a user of Callshi to want to generate a market and what that um, process entails? Yeah, of course. Um, so it, it does go through a centralized process of like review to make sure, as I said, that the rules are clear, that the source agency uh, is clear, that it's not is it to manipulate all those things? Uh, but we take an insane amount of user suggestions. Actually, the vast amount, like the vast majority of, of contracts live in the exchange right now were user suggestions. Um, and as I said, the timeline is very quick to post things uh, on the platform. So uh, we, we take a lot of the user suggestions into account. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how the competitors do that, but I'm sure our process is more rigorous uh, due to the, the fact that we regulated. <laughs> You know, you mentioned sort of having really good contracts that resolve really well. Um, but in the first issue of sort of crowd money, Andrew made this really great play on the housing market that was on call sheet, which was asking, I believe, what would be the June sales and whether or not they would be over 750,000. Um, and I believe in the question, or at least the assumption that you were forecasting was, what's the change going to be from the month prior, which was 769,000. And so that was sort of the question is therefore premised, is it going to decrease, you know, will the decrease be less than like minus 2%. But what ended up happening is, you know, those main numbers were actually incorrect and in that they were revised down. And so what the contract was actually asking about was housing sales going to increase from 729,000 to over 750,000. And so because the sourcing agency had sort of bad data, it actually made the contract something different. Do you see sort of like, first of all, like, how do you see that sort of relationship between resolution criteria, you know, being like a certain metric of sales numbers, and then them being revised down in the future? And do you think prediction markets and, you know, uh, places like Callshi will sort of drive more accurate reporting and numbers when it comes to sales data because markets are dependent on getting that information accurate? Uh, yes, it's a great question. I mean, it's something we think about a, a lot internally. I would say for, for the second question, you know, will, will kind of markets like this drive potentially more accurate reporting of data? I would say yes. Um, uh, but but the, the first question, I mean, it's always an interesting thing. Um, 
I would say two things about this. I mean, one, uh, it, it is a it is a difficult problem, and it's a problem that is is endemic to really any type uh, any type of derivative. I mean, you know, the, the the example is always interesting. I mean, I always tell people to look at butter futures or grain futures and how they're defined. I mean, what is grain? I mean, how, what do you what do you count as grain? I mean, now it's we think it's obvious, but like if you really look at the contract specs or even butter, like what percentage of fat saturation and like what you know like is something right on the line and if the milk turned into butter because there was too much like sun i mean there's always you know essentially uh um that that issue is always there but the second point i want to make is the 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 way to resolve uh that issue at least that's our strong hypothesis have a very legal a strict legal interpretation of the contract rules i mean it's called a contract Mm-hmm. That's why it's called event contracts because it is a legal contract that you are abiding by the rules that were set up front, right? Sometimes things may happen that uh, may take, you know, may, you know, may potentially make the data not necessarily the exact risk that was hedged, but, you know, hopefully this is happening in a low, you know, in a low percentage of the, of the time. And it, it is happening in very, very low percentage of the times. Um, but it is a very important for us as an exchange to maintain market integrity and fairness that we stick to the rules that people have agreed to to agree to when they entered trades on the, on the market. So what do you see as the future of prediction markets? Um, you know, there are some prediction markets that Clay and I have identified that are running on NFTs, um, others that are using crypto. You know, do you think that there's going to be one particular path that takes prominence in the future or, um, you know, will these projects just rise with prediction market space altogether? Look, the, the way we've always described Kashmir, we, we, we have... Not really. I, mean, I think a lot of people have noticed using, using the word prediction market. I mean, we, because we haven't, I mean, when we were starting, we didn't think about prediction market. We were really thinking about exchange. Mm-hmm. We were able to trade on the outcome of that. So we really think about building an asset class and then building the sort of ecosystem, the exchange for that asset class. So New York Stock Exchange for equities, CME for, for commodities and derivatives, Calci for events. Um, and to, to tie this into your question, I mean, the way we really see this is the regulatory piece is a very important component of really building the next, uh, you know, next generation exchange for this, for this asset class, something that can, you know, thrive to get volumes like the New York Stock Exchange or CME. Um, and, and in some ways, the examples that I always like to give is, is um, and if someone were to, to, to start a website that is, you know, not necessarily regulated, you know, with some level of KYC, a little bit of difficult banking, and a lot of people to trade on stocks, um, would it have the same volume as, as the New York Stock Exchange or can it aspire to that? I mean, probably not. Uh, it's a little bit of the same thing here. And you really see, uh, uh, you know, event contracts, and you can take the correlate to prediction market, is really this next natural asset class uh, that fits into this broader history of how kind of, the commodities, commodities and derivatives, you know, uh, got shaped over time. We started with grain futures, that was in the 1900s. That was a big sort of Supreme Court uh, approval that allowed them to flourish in CBOE. And then we moved into kind of metals and other tangible commodities. Then we moved into intangible commodities. You know, at the turn of the century, we got interest rate swaps, which is now a $500 trillion market. We see events as sort of the next step in that continuum in the sense that events are, are really intuitive to a very broad range of people. And they pose all sorts of risks to the, to the, to the ecosystem as a whole. Um, and that's what the vision is for Kalshi, or you know, more broadly, maybe prediction markets uh, in the future. Do you see any relationship between yourself and um i guess less competitors like polymarket but more um i guess parallel products like metaculous or good judgment so products that do similar things but aren't um using a currency for these uh, 
these viewpoints? Yeah, I mean, you know, so, so, you know, I think what, I, what the way I see it is like, you know, it's always healthy. I mean, like, we, we love, you know, we love having kind of multiple players in the space and kind of, you know, building awareness around these sort of types of contracts and, and all of that. I mean, uh, we, you know, we have uh, in some ways like we, we do see ourselves a little bit different from sort of typical prediction markets in the sense that we're regulated. We're going up after kind of a, yeah, I don't know how to call it, but like after we really are trying to build a full scale exchange one that can attract sort of institutions and brokers and market makers and, and, and people at a broader scale. Um, and, um, and so we, it's a little bit sort of our angle, um, but, you know, more broadly, I mean, as an, as an industry or, you know, we, like everyone, we're trying to make these types of markets mainstream. Um, and, and we, we, um, we love the, the fact that the industry is thriving and sort of gaining relevance, uh, which is a great thing for us, but, you know, our regulatory thing, I think sets us up, in some way uniquely, allows us to be uniquely positioned. And sort of moving sort of past Kalshian towards both of you guys, like what got you interested in event contracts? Do you guys, in your hobby, do you guys forecast? Are there, is there a internal market for Kalshi in terms of hitting certain KPIs or something? Or is there like a market for like your equity pool? I don't know. Um, do you guys are, are, yeah, do you guys forecast or do sort of prediction market stuff internally? Just like, how did you guys get excited about event contracts? That's a great question. There's actually, I'll answer the, the how do we get, do we get interested in this first? And then I'll talk about what we do internally. But I guess both Tarek and I have been, super interested in, in, in finance, history of finance and all that stuff, I guess, since the beginning of college, even before that. Um, and I think it was, it was, it was a little bit, this, it, it didn't come from the forecasting side. It came a lot from our, our finance experience on like, for example, I was, uh, I worked at Bridgewater and I would see the research team just being like, oh, this is like, I don't know, European Central Bank will raise rates. How are we going to get exposure to, to that event? And like, let's build this, this huge, um instrumented to to be able to trade that um and Tarek saw this at, at goldman and a lot of different places and i think the first moment we started thinking about it was really just the impact of events on on real trading and how actually what people want most of the time they're trading is just exposure to certain events uh and just be, being right or wrong about them and then we also obviously we both love being right and i think it's uh it, it was a part of our our trading experience to just, you know, trade with, with each other, pretty much anything in our lives, like, oh, Trump and Kim Jong-un are going to get on a deal. Sure. They're like $50 and, and we'll see how it goes. And, um, and that was the other part, but, but yeah, I think we, we obviously are still like, we both said it at MIT. So we are also like markets and forecasting all of that nerds, I think more at the end of college, but, but yeah, um, at, at the company. Yeah. No, everyone here, like, the, one of the biggest things we look at when we hire people is really alignment to the mission and understand what we do and why these markets are so powerful and good for the world and how this data, the data that's collected can like literally change how people see most events and most things happening in the future. And, um, and it's a big, big part of how we, how we hire. Um, we don't, we don't run prediction markets internally for KPIs or, <laughs> or equity pools or anything like that, but, but maybe we should, who knows? <laughs> Is there a is there a is, is there a top trader in the office? Top trader in the office. Yeah. Leaderboard. Yeah, is there a leaderboard? <laughs> I mean, we have a few. Well, you know, we, we have a well. Well, we can trade on Kalshi. Uh, 
So we have, you know, uh, you know, that's as a self-regulated entity, none of us can trade on the exchange, obviously, for, for conflict of interest issues. Uh, so, so we have that prohibition. Uh, yeah, I guess one very interesting thing is that we have on our Slack, we have our contracts channel that everyone just suggests contracts the whole day. And surprisingly enough, we get a lot more suggestions internally than, than, than from users, which, which I think probably means that we hired the right people. <laughs> um, you talked a bit about like the human impact and the you know potential good that call she can do and that event contracts can do. Um, Clay and I have come upon research that's said that you know forecasting and just the act of forecasting can help to depolarize viewpoints, political viewpoints. Do you see that being an interesting byproduct of, of the work that call she's doing is getting people more to the middle or at least to have a conversation? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of theory around this. I mean, you can view it, view it from a bunch of different perspectives. Like one, you know, these markets can become a better source of truth for forecasts of future events. Two, it's, it's a very good self-calibrating mechanism. It holds people a lot true to their opinions. So, you know, are you, do you really have the belief that you claim you have? Right? Because if you do, you know, come put money on it. And if you were so strong about that belief, you should put even more money on it. Right? So, so I definitely agree with that effect that it helps people have a bit more awareness on, on, on self, like, well, self-calibrate, really, self-calibrate how much they believe in that thing. Um, I think the, the, um, uh, the, the other thing is um, that, you know, I mean, there, there's theory from, from Philip Detlock about sort of the, the, the foxes and the, and the hedgehogs. That are, I don't know if you've ever come across that, but... Um, oh, yeah. It ties, twice. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, it, it ties closely to that in the sense that, you know, I mean, foxes can be really, really smart. Uh, well, hedgehogs can be really, really smart, and they know a lot about their, 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 their domains. But they tend to just build over conviction. They over time, they just sort of, you know, Come go into a cycle of you know being too convinced. And so, so markets allow us to you know attract more sort of foxes that are like a little bit more like, uh, yeah, you know, I I have a belief, but I'm a little bit more Bayesian about my belief, and I can update giving you information, and I'm always careful about. How much do I believe? Because if I'm not, I'll lose money automatically. Uh, so that's that's been great. Yeah, and, and I just to add to that, I think the the polar, polarization stuff is, is a great point. I think one interesting thing that that we noticed most of our tax contracts are actually trading around 50-50. And um, in a very polarized world of politics these days, it's something that for us it was not expected. So it's really it's really interesting to see all of the stuff that we talk about in in effect. And so for our last question, imagine a world in sort of 20 years where Kalshi is the equivalent of the New York Stock Exchange. Like, what does that world like where not only like where event contracts are this big thing that are in people's lives? Do you have a sense in terms of how that might, you know, extend just beyond people on prediction markets? Is this a new way of, you know, filtering information and noise and you know, instead of every news story being, oh, my God, this is fundamentally changing everything. People go and they check what's happening on Kalshi and say, oh, the markets didn't move. Maybe The New York Times is freaking out for some reason to get people to buy today's issue or something. Um, what do you guys have visions in terms of what that, you know, 20 year future might look like? You know, absolutely. I mean, I love the way you put it. I mean, if you're talking specifically about sort of that sort of forecasting aspect is, yeah, it, it will push us push people, broader audience, mainstream to become a lot more, uh, I would say, uh, yes, data-driven. And I mean, if you want to get technical, Bayesian about the world, it's like, how is our estimate, our market-based estimate evolving 
when we get this data in, right? Instead of like having this alpha equals one type thing where you just get data and you now exactly like this new piece of information comes in and that's now the source of truth. And then another one comes in tomorrow and the source of truth is that. Now we have a little bit more of a tapered, more averaged, uh, uh, nuanced view of, 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 of the word, uh, which I find to be particularly exciting. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you guys on. Thank you so much for sitting down with us and giving you and giving us and our listeners your time. Thank you so much. This is great. Awesome. Same here. Talk soon. All right. Talk soon. Right. Bye. 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 So, Andrew, I don't know about you, but I thought that was a really fascinating interview with the co-founders of CallShe. I'm really excited to see sort of what they're going to do in the prediction market space sort of at large over these next six months, one year, two year. I'm sure that they have a pretty tight plan uh, for what their next steps are, given sort of who their internal team is, as, as well as the fact that they're backed by KKR, Sequoia Capital and more. So um, I'm really excited to see sort of what they're going to do within the space. And I'm also really interested to see sort of how this crypto prediction market, NFT prediction market, and the real money fiat prediction markets sort of co-evolve and sort of coexist amongst one another. I think right now there's a lot of crossover, but I think Kalshi is probably interested in converting over a lot of new people who are probably turned away for the reasons that we we mentioned earlier in the podcast about sort of crypto prediction markets and sort of that's why they'll come over. Um, I could sort of see two theses where, you know, that's sort of the one case. And then on the other hand, you know, we really are really early in terms of prediction markets. Things like Metaculus and Good Judgment are hardly like household names. And so this is like very early stuff. And so, you know, just maybe those people and sort of how they're wired or sort of more open, open to crypto. And so that difference doesn't matter as much. And so I'm really interested to see sort of how that evolves, but I'm, I'm certain that what's going to come out of Kalshi over, over their beta and into the full launch will be very exciting to watch. And I can't wait to be a part of it by trading on the platform and hopefully talking to more people at Kalshi in podcasts to come. How about you, Andrew? Yeah, similar to you. I'm really curious about sort of currently and moving forward. Uh, what the customer makeup of culture will be, how many people will be sort of converts from the Metaculous and Good Judgment Open platforms, um, and how many will be sort of new uh, new people in the space who are just being introduced to prediction platforms for the first time. Um, and I think, you know, looking towards, you know, what culture can become in the future, uh, it's going to have to be more of the latter than the former, um, but sort of how they think about uh, going about acquiring those, those people, whether it's through the sort of markets that they have on their platform, um, or, you know, through the marketing efforts that they do, uh, I think, you know, that will be um, sort of a big sign of their, you know, success um, or lack thereof in the future. And, you know, obviously, we've, I don't think it's a secret. We've talked to Kalshi, Polymarket. They do understand the importance of their super users, of the people who, you know, are really invested in forecasting and predicting as an exercise. Um, but, yeah, just very curious to see how that customer base develops over time. Um, and I think, you know, you'll, all of our listeners and readers can keep track of that also in our newsletter and, uh, with the podcast. Um, speaking of which, what can people look forward to in the future, Clay? Yeah. So, um, thank you everyone for listening to the first episode of the crowd money cast. If you guys are interested in this podcast, go to crowdmoney.io to subscribe or go to your favorite podcasting platform of choice and type in the crowd money cast and subscribe there. 
but this Tuesday, or sorry, not this Tuesday, but Tuesday, September 28th, the second edition of the Crowd Money newsletter is going to release. Um, we're going to have a lot of really interesting topics in there. I think for me, what I'm most excited about is our interview with the CEO of Reality Cards and talking about NFTs and sort of the role in which they play currently in the prediction market space and sort of discussing how, in theory, you know, NFTs could play a, a larger role in prediction markets moving forward. Um, we'll also talk about prediction markets when it comes to policymakers and discuss the ways in which they currently are being used and discuss the ways in which they might be used in the future. Um, we'll also obviously have our prediction market news and the plays in the month. So if you still want to get your play in for the next newsletter, go to crowdmoney.io, go to the comments section of the first post and put your play in there. Or you can reach out to us at Twitter at crowdmoneygg or find our personal Twitters, which are in the description of the podcast or the YouTube video. Andrew, anything else before we sign off? I think you said it all, Clay. Wonderful. Well, we'll see you guys on September 28th and then in October for the second episode of the Crowd Money Cast. Thanks so much for watching. Bye-bye.